All right. So this uh, sermon tonight will be uh, not your favorite, probably, uh, because it's, well, it's just probably won't be. But it's my favorite. And sometimes my favorites aren't other people's favorites because, uh, well, I don't know, it just seems to work that way. The What we're going to talk tonight about is memorizing Bible verses and meditating on them. And uh, I'm convinced that it is incredibly important for us to do that as believers systematically, and very, very, very few do. So in your notes, number one, memorizing and meditating on Scripture is the most, most, circle that word most, uh, it's not a fill-in-the-blank thing, but just so that you uh, get it, most powerful spiritual discipline that there is. So sometimes I don't use those kinds of words because when I do, someone's going to think, I don't think it's the most powerful. I think maybe it might be second most powerful. So, or I could say it is very powerful or one of the most powerful or something like that so that I don't elicit this uh, uh, thinking that, well, that's a, sort of a bold statement. It is, and I believe it to be absolutely true without a doubt. It is the most powerful in the sense that there is no discipline that faithfully done will produce more growth and more fruit and uh, more victory over sin and all kinds of other positive things in our life than memorizing Bible verses and meditating on them will. Uh, nothing even comes close, in my opinion. Psalms 119, 15 through 16, I will, I like that, those two words, that's a commitment, it's a decision, it's a choice, I will meditate on your precepts. Now you can't meditate on the Word of God if you haven't memorized it. Because meditation is going over and over and over. It's thinking about repeatedly. Uh, if you were to read some Hebrew about agriculture and they were to write about a cow chewing its cud, they would use a similar word as meditate. That is, uh, you burp it up and you chew it again. And if you haven't taken it in, you can't burp it up. And so meditation requires memorization. Otherwise, it, it can't happen. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget. I shall not forget your word. Now, I teach leadership class for men and women. I start it in October. It goes for eight months. And there are individuals in the church that have been coming for two, three, four, five years who have never gotten into leadership class. And I like the idea of everybody going through it. I just think it's good enough and profitable enough that it should happen. And so sometimes I will say, hey, you've not been in my leadership class. And the response I get is, well, I would accept you require us to memorize Bible verses and I can't memorize. I've heard that like a bazillion times. I can't memorize. And I automatically say, what, what, what was your name? Uh, Bill. Well, you can't memorize. You remembered your name. Well, sure, I remember my name. Yeah, I bet you know where you live, too. When's the last time you got lost going home? And your phone number. You got your phone number down? Your wife's name? You know your wife's name. So you know your name, your wife's name. I bet you know the kids' name. Uh, see, you don't have a problem memorizing. You just uh, think you do. But uh, anybody can memorize. Otherwise, God's Word wouldn't say, uh, tell us to do it. Psalms 119, 40, 48. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I will meditate on your statutes. Psalms 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day, all day long, I meditate, I think about your word. You can only do that if you've memorized it. Psalms chapter 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, day and night, day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So if you take that word, whatever he does, he prospers. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. What other discipline promises prosperity and success? It's the only one. So when I say it's the most powerful of all the disciplines, it's easy to back it up scripturally. 
because the promises that are attached to it through the Word of God are amazing, and we'll look at some of those uh, tonight that he brings into our life. I uh, played basketball in college, and I wasn't very good, and uh, I would jump, you know, to try to, guys could stuff the basketball, I could touch the net. And, uh, and so the coach had this vest, he put it on, and it was little pockets in it, it was full of lead. And the vest weighed, I don't know, it was heavy. He says, put this vest on and play, practice with this vest. He said, it is amazingly powerful to give you strength to jump. Now, he made it sound like the next thing I would be doing would be flying. He made it sound like this thing was like incomprehensibly amazing and all that it would produce and accomplish for you. And I was pretty sure I would be stuffing the basketball in a matter of weeks as I wore it in practice. Now, I have to tell you, I did actually stuff a ping pong ball. I had it between those two fingers and I got it just over the net. So it actually did pretty good because before then I could barely, uh, they, as they used to say, when D jumps we can slip a piece of paper under his feet. That's about it. So I improved quite a bit. Powerful technique, discipline, uh, not weighted vests, but memorizing the Word of God. Now listen to this verse here. If you want to hear power and life change, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Depart from your mouth. Now what that means is, is that you're taking it in. When my kids were little, my boys, I would say, you graze. You don't eat. You graze. That's what a cow does. You know what that means? That means they never stop eating, only to sleep. They're eating continuously, all the time. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth. That means you're taking it in. The mouth was a, as a picture of bringing it inside of you. But you shall meditate on it day and night, day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous as twice now and you will have success. So I like the idea of being prosperous and having success, and the promise right there is, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, being careful to do according to all that is written, and for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That is the most powerful promise in the entire Bible. You do this, this will happen. You do this, this will happen. Number two, memorizing the Bible See the word probably? Take your pen and put an X through it. Not a circle, an X. The Bible, memorizing the Bible, is the hardest of all the disciplines and least practiced by most Christians today. So we could do a survey right here tonight. I could ask you, do you read your Bible faithfully, most of you daily? I would guess that over half would say yes. Do you pray faithfully? I would guess that over half will say yes. Do you attend church faithfully? Most of you will say yes. Uh, do you confess your sins to God? Most of you will say yes. So you take the basic disciplines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you uh, faithfully, systematically memorize new Bible verses on a regular basis? So if we did a show of hands, we would find a... Maybe just that many, if that. Not many do faithfully, systematically, because it's hard. It's so hard. It just requires a great deal of discipline to pull it off. And it's amazing how that which is most important is most difficult. That which is least important is easy. Number three, Jesus memorized Scripture. So he's a model for living the Christian life, and he faithfully, systematically memorized the Bible. In Matthew 4, 4, he's being tempted by the devil, and he answered and said, it is written. And then he quotes perfectly a verse from Deuteronomy, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Number four, in reading the New Testament, it is obvious that the apostles memorized large portions of the Old Testament. When Peter stood up and preached on the day of Pentecost, uh, at least uh, 25% of everything that he spoke in that sermon was an uh, Old Testament passage that he quoted from memory. The book of Hebrews, written by a pastor in the city of Rome, uh, 30% of the entire book of Hebrews is a quote from the Old Testament. And so all the apostles quoted Scripture regularly as they preached and as they wrote. <clears throat> Number five, memorizing God's Word greatly honors God and demonstrates our love for Him. I was uh, at a, uh, an event here a couple of years ago. Multiple pastors were there, and this one pastor got up and preached a sermon. As he got started into the sermon, I recognized it. It was one that I had preached about a year earlier. And I don't remember all of my sermons, but that particular one I did. And as he preached it, I thought, he's doing a good job, man. He's got it right down, perfect. He doesn't use my stories, but everything else is right lined up. And when uh, there was the break, I went up and said, Hi, and he saw me, and he says, oh, I am so embarrassed. I said, why? He said, I, 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 did, I wouldn't have preached your sermon had I known you were going to be in the audience. I said, you know, I have never felt more honored uh, that someone would think that what I had taught and preached was worthwhile enough that they could in turn preach it. I mean, you told your own stories. You made your own application. Uh, the Bible is the Bible. I mean, uh, and by the way, I think you're doing a better job than I did the first time I preached it. So, bless you, brother. And so, uh, I did. I felt honored that he would actually uh, memorize and preach a sermon that he had heard me preach. I don't know if he heard it me in person. I think he probably heard it on the radio. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. How? And with all your soul and with all your mind. How? And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, you've heard me say this and other probably as well, but when in the Hebrew language they often uh, write in what's called parallelism, uh, that is they will say uh, two statements that are like railroad tracks. They're parallel to each other and they illustrate one the other. It's like saying the same thing in a different way. And so, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. So how are you going to love God, honor God, by paying attention to His words? Um, and they shall be on your heart. They shall be part of you, in you. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. You shall therefore impress, impress. I go to the sportsman show up in Portland every year. And when you go through the door, they stamp your hand with this little thing. I don't know exactly. I think it's the dates on it. But that way, if you need to come out and go to your car, if you buy something and you're loaded down and you want to come back in, they just look at your hand and say, oh, yeah, you can come back in. You were stamped. And so this word here, impress, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart. Impress them on your heart. That is, you stamp them on your heart. You make it permanent. You make it permanent. Impress these words of mine on your heart. How do you do that? You memorize them. And on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. First Samuel 2.30, But now the Lord declares, Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. How does God honor me? If I honor him and he says he will honor me, uh, do you know that uh, people who study human nature, psychology, psychiatry, do counseling, they've come up with what is called a hierarchy of needs, what we have to have in order to be happy. 
and one of them is, is this sense of worth or value. Uh, uh, you can call it self-worth, self-actualization, a variety of different things, but it's a sense that I'm important. Where does that come from? The world thinks it comes from accomplishment. The world thinks it comes from money. The world thinks it comes from title, prestige, position. But the truth of the Word of God is, is that we have a sense of worth and value that is put there by God. By God. And it varies. He honors us, and we sense that honor inside, in our soul, in our spirit. And the Word is clear. You honor me, I will honor you. You glorify me, I will glorify you. You esteem me, I will esteem you. You build me up, I will build you up. You worship me, and I'll put in you the sense of worth and value. And so the Lord declares, those who honor me, I will honor. And we honor him by memorizing his word. Number six, memorizing and meditating on Scripture is the most powerful way to conquer sin and become holy. So a little discussion over a cup of coffee, maybe some fish and chips if you buy. How are you doing? in your walk with Jesus. All right. You going to heaven? I think so. <laughs> what? I think so. I mean, that's a little... I mean, you don't want to find out when you get there whether you're in or out. Are you going to heaven? How do you know for sure? So we'll have a talk, and then I'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're saved by grace, not by works, but does that mean that works aren't important? Aren't you, do you think you should grow? Yeah, yeah, I need to grow. So, what's your strategy? What's your plan for pursuing holiness, for conquering sin, for becoming like Christ in the way you live your life? So if I ask that question to the average Christian over a cup of coffee, and I say, if you get it right, I'll buy the fish and chips. So I ask the question, what's your strategy for becoming holy? The average Christian can say, well, let's see, I'll go to church, read my Bible, pray. Uh, that's not a bad beginning. So what is the most powerful tool for becoming holy? And you kind of should know the answer because of what we're talking about tonight. 1 Peter 1.15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, now, is that the most impossible command you've ever seen? Be holy in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Become sober-minded. Think seriously about who you are, what you'll do, as you ought, and stop sinning. Stop sinning. How are you going to pull that one off? What's your plan? What's your strategy? So let me read to you again First uh, Joshua 1, 8, the most powerful verse in the Bible. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That is, you're taking it in all the time. You shall meditate on it day and night, day and night, day and night, so that the result being that you may become, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So that the result being you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. This book shall not depart from your mouth taking it in on a regular basis, meditating on it day and night, the result being you will live it. You will live it. Psalms 119.11, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart. What does that mean? We memorized it. When I was 12 years old, I went to summer camp in, uh, just south of uh, Roseburg, and I had a camp counselor. His name was Mr. Titus. Now, I don't know if that was his real name or if that was his camp name. Often when counselors are in camp, they give them what is called a camp name. It's not their real name. It's just a name that for some reason they make up, but that's what I called him, Mr. Titus. He was a single guy, fairly young, sold insurance. I remember that. I've told you this story before, but it's one of my favorites. He had a box of Bibles in the little bunkhouse that there were uh, 10 of us boys in, and he was our counselor for that bunkhouse. And he said, you should read your Bible every day, every day, every day. You should read it. 
And in fact, if you would commit to me to read the Bible through this next year, I would give you this one of these Bibles. He had a box of them, leather-covered Bibles, really nice, expensive Bibles. He said, I'll give it to you if you'll read it through this next year, if you'll make a commitment to do that. And so he said that over and over and over. You should read the Bible through every year. You should read it every day. I'll give you this Bible. Finally, I said, okay, okay, I'll take one. Give it, give it to me. I'll do it. So he did. Uh, I had that Bible until after I was married, and then this fell apart, uh, and I didn't want to go have it rebound. But I had it for years and years and years. And then he had another little book. It was a small little book, and it, called, it was titled An Apple a Day. And he says, now that you've taken the Bible, let me add something. You should memorize at least one verse every week, every week. This little book has 52 verses in it. It said an apple a day. I said uh, uh, an apple a day. He said this just means do something healthy for your soul. This little book, he says, memorize it, a verse, a verse a week for this next year. And so I took it and I did. I memorized 52 verses that year. I read the Bible all the way through. First time in my life, I was 12 years old and I've never missed a year since. And when I see Mr. Titus in heaven, I'm going to say, Mr. Titus, you made a huge difference in my life because you made a Bible reader out of me and a Bible memorizer out of me by that encouragement. Psalms 37, 31, the law of his God is in his heart. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Proverbs 6, 21, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. What does that mean? When you wake up in the morning, they will talk to you. That means a thought will pop into your head when you wake up. What will that be? That'll be the verses that you've memorized. For the commandment is a lamp. Proverbs 7, 2, keep my commandments and live in my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Write them on the tablet of your heart. How do you do that? Memorize them. Number seven, memorizing Bible verses and using them to replace wrong thinking is the most effective way to control our thoughts. So one of the things that has happened to me as I have grown uh, over the last 50, 60 years as a Christian is that I have become sophisticated in my sinning. You know what that means? It's harder for you to see it. Still very real. 90% plus of the sins I commit, I commit up here. So you don't see them. But God does. Consequences are still significant. Because there's no built-in accountability where no one sees what I do wrong, it's much more difficult to get a grip on that one and to conquer it because we don't really feel the pressure. Uh, because after all, I can look at you and smile and say, you're wonderful, and be thinking that you're a jerk at the same time. And you'll have no clue. You'll have no clue. Uh, so you can't read my thoughts, but God can. There's immoral thinking. There's bitter thinking. I have bitterness towards you when I see you. I have the thoughts. I can have jealous thinking. I can have prideful thinking. I struggle with that most when I'm around other pastors. And they say something, and I think to myself, eh, I can do that better than you. And I think, oh, oh sorry, Lord. It just kind of pops into your head, you know? Prideful thinking. Critical, judgmental thinking. You ever do that one? Covetous. Discontent. I need a new car. I need this. And then angry thinking. Angry at people for what they do. Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man, woman, according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds, speaking of their thoughts. I search the heart, I test the mind, and I give to every individual according to what it is they think. Revelation 2, 23, I will kill her children with pestilence. 
All the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds or your thoughts. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts, the thoughts, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God that we have memorized especially Jeremiah 4.14, wash your heart from evil, wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Matthew 15.19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Evil thoughts, these are the things which defile the man, our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So regularly I, people will ask me, thought pops into my head, is that sin? And then I quote a Chinese proverb. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. So thoughts pop into our head all the time. How long do they stay? And once it pops into your head, what do you do with it? So you can't just stop, but you can replace. You can choose what you set your mind on. That command, set your mind on the things above, is repeated in Scripture often. And so if an immoral thought pops into my mind, it would be easy to leave it there, but I know that God knows what I think. God is the one who blesses my life and retakes, takes away blessing. God is the one who gives me opportunities, things to do in ministry, and takes them away. He knows what's going on in my head all the time, and so an immoral thought pops into my head, and I automatically now jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. If a man cleanses himself from these things... These things, the context is moral purity. If a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, useful to the master. I love the sound of that. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. If a man cleanses himself from these things, that is, he becomes morally pure. So immoral thought pops into my head. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. And it's amazing how easy it is to recognize a wrong thought, and then choose to set your mind on something that's right. A bitter thought, a prideful thought. If I look at someone and have a thought about I'm better looking than they are, a prideful, comparison thought. I have several verses I go to. One is God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so each of the seven thought sins that I mentioned. I have several verses for each of them, and when those first thoughts pop into my mind that are wrong, then I automatically set my mind on verses uh, and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is as simple as memorizing Bible verses and having meditated on them long enough and thoroughly enough, you know where to go. In fact, it happens uh, as you do it. It begins to happen automatically. Number eight, memorizing and meditating on God's Word gives us great wisdom. I was with a guy, and uh, there was another person that was talking, speaking, and he was obviously very intelligent. Uh, I mean, just listening to him, it was like, whoa, this guy is smart. And the fellow sitting next to me says, I wish they did brain transplants like they do kidney transplants, I would see if I could get that guy's brain. You know, a better brain to get would be the brain of Jesus. Did you know that the Bible is called the very mind of Christ? The very mind of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? And so when we memorize the Bible, we are putting into our mind the thoughts of Christ, the words of Jesus. We become uh, our mind more and more like His when we take and memorize the Bible, and as a result, we gain wisdom, the wisdom of God as we memorize it. Psalms 119, 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You can't meditate on what you haven't memorized. 
Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. They are ever mine. I have more insight, insight than all my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I've observed your precepts. He said, I am wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers. I understand more than the aged. So that's what's called a threefold emphasis in the poetry of the Hebrew poetry and Psalms. I'm wiser, I have more insight, I understand more, and all of them are attributed to knowing and meditating on the Word of God. Number nine, memorizing and meditating on God's Word increases our prayer power. So I have a grandson that lives with us. His name is Courage. And he likes to talk to me. And he starts out by saying, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. Now, if I were to listen to him, every time he says, Grandpa, I would get very little else done. So, if I'm talking to you, sometimes he will come up and say, Grandpa, Grandpa. And I'll say, Courage, wait. But 10 seconds. Grandpa, Grandpa, courage, wait. So let's suppose I were talking to courage and you walked up and said, D. I would say, Courage, I'll be back with you in a minute. I'd say, Yes. You said, That's granting favoritism. It is. Some people I listen to more than others. And Nine-year-old boys, you know, I sort of passively listen a lot, but if it comes between you and him, though he's my grandson and I do give him time, I'm going to carry on a conversation with you. You have a priority conversationally. So, I pray, you pray, we all pray. Who does God listen to most? Does he listen to some more than others? He sure does. The Bible clearly teaches that God has favorites, those whom he listens to, those who have an inside track with him when they pray others. Uh, in fact, it says that God doesn't even listen to their words, and some people, he considers their words an abomination. So you might say that your prayer power can be a hundred or it can be zero, and everywhere in between. That is, when you pray, things happen or they don't. You pray, God listens, or he doesn't. You pray, God acts, or he doesn't even hear. And so the Bible has 12 different throttles, as it were, conditional statements that are attached to our prayer life that elevate the power, the influence we have with God. And so the principle is this. You listen to God, he listens to you. There is nothing that indicates more sincere attention to his words than when you memorize them. And then you become a person with great power in your praying. John 15, 7, if, notice that word, if, I mean, this is a conditional statement. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, my words abide in you. What does that mean? That means your words abide in you. They're there. They're permanent. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done to you. That is an amazing promise. That's a lot of power, and you're praying. Number 10, memorizing and meditating on God's Word very effectively causes our faith to grow. Somebody came walking in tonight with a tomato plant. I don't know for sure, but I bet if I ask her, I, I've got a tomato and I don't have a clue. Could you tell me how to grow a tomato so that it has tomatoes? And... Yeah, do this and do this and do this and do this. And Growing tomatoes is a pretty much of a straightforward thing. Some do it well, some not so well. How do you grow your faith? How do you grow your faith? It says in Romans that Abraham's faith grew strong. Grew strong. Jesus said uh, to his disciples repeatedly, Oh, you have little faith. The centurion came to him and wanted his servant healed, his daughter healed, and Jesus said, I have not seen this great faith in all of Israel. So he was regularly complimenting people on their faith or he was telling them, oh, you have little faith. How do you grow your faith? You don't just will it into existence. 
You nurture it, you feed it like you would a tomato plant. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That word hearing doesn't mean casual listening. It means intently listening. It comes into your soul, hearing the word of Christ. Matthew 17, 20, he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, they were asking, why couldn't we cast the demon out of this kid? Because you don't have enough faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there. It shall move. Nothing shall be impossible to you. I love the sound of that. Nothing shall be impossible to you. But you've got to have some faith. You don't have to have a lot, just like size of a mustard seed. How do you grow your faith? The Word of God. The Word of God. You memorize it and you will grow in faith. Number 11, self-control is probably the most important character trait to acquire in life. So with self-control, I can control the words that come out of my mouth. With self-control, I can control the thoughts that are in my head. With self-control, I can control my time. With self-control, I can control how I spend my money. With self-control, ah, this is embarrassing. I can control what I eat and get skinny. Wow, I better do some more memorizing. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know? Whenever Paul says that, that means this is important. It's basic stuff. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Only one receives the prize. Any race, only one wins. That's just the way it is. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. Exercises self-control in every detail of their life. They do it to receive a prize that won't last, a perishable wreath. But we, that is, we exercise self-control in every area of our life to win a prize that will last forever. Therefore, I run in such a way as not beating, not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body, discipline my body, make it my slave, lest after I have preached to you all, I myself would be disqualified from the prize. Self-control. How do you grow in self-control? There's some great tools. Fasting is a great tool for growing in self-control. Uh, memorizing Bible verses takes more self-control probably than any other discipline there is. That's why so few people do it. <clears throat> First John 2, 14, I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong. You're strong and the word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you. That is, you've memorized it. Number 12, Bible verses that we have memorized well are the most powerful weapons we have to resist the devil. Several years ago, we were riding our bicycles across country. I forget exactly where. And uh, uh, there was some road construction. And there was a sign, lady holding this sign, uh, saying, stop. And we had a conversation with her about, okay, now when the pilot car comes, we're going to get left in the dust. So why don't you just let us go? Uh, well, I'm, I can't do that. I can't do that. Okay, second option, when the pilot car comes, put our bicycles in the pilot car and the pickup, and we will uh, ride in the pickup close to the other end. Ah, oh, well, that's a lot of liability. So you're just going to let us go out there and get run over by heavy equipment and whatever? So we had this conversation. Finally talked her into letting us put the bicycles in the pickup, riding in the pickup. We, we try to get her to drive the, the, the pickup to drive clear to the top of the hill rather than when the construction stopped, wouldn't, wouldn't do it. But as we talked to her, mosquitoes were just driving us. I mean, they were just thick as can be while we were stopped. Riding the bike, they couldn't keep up with us. We went so fast. <laughs> uh, but stopped, they were just... And I noticed they weren't bothering her a bit. I says, could I ask you a question? She says, sure. What mosquito repellent do you use? I said, you don't seem to have a problem. She says, the mosquito repellent I use is the best in the world. It's awesome. They never touch me. And so I got the name of it. If you pay me some money after the service, I'll tell you the name of it. <laughs> Fact is, I've forgotten it, but I have it, written, I have it written down somewhere. So little demons are everywhere. 
tempting, deceiving, blinding, trying to control. Did you know that the Word of God is the most effective demon repellent there is? They hate the Word of God. They can't stand it. And when they work on us by putting a thought in our mind, by talking to us, we can just simply repel them with the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in the faith. Do you see the word the? That's a definite article in the Greek language, and when it is in front of the word faith, it's not talking about my inner faith. It's talking about the faith. It's the object of our faith. It's what we believe to be true. It's referring to the Word of God. The Word of God is regularly entitled the faith, the object of our faith, the source of our faith. Firm in the faith. Resist him. Know the Word. Luke 4, 3, And the devil said to him, to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written. All he did was quote a Bible verse to him. And the devil left him. 13, the discipline and concentration required to memorize Bible verses has a powerful impact on the health of our mind. So when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's eight years ago, nine years ago, I did, I researched, I read everything that I could find on the topic. Um, I read lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff, and I discovered that about 40% of those who get Parkinson's develop very early senality problems and issues. Their thinking begins to go down rapidly. And so I thought, that's going to be tough to be a pastor when I can't remember whether Matthew comes before John. Uh, and so as I read about this problem with people with Parkinson's, I read that people who exercise their brain will not have that problem. And in fact, one of the books I read recommended memorizing the phone book. I thought, how stupid is that? If I'm going to memorize something, I think I'll memorize something with some profit, the Bible. And so I became a, a ramped-up Bible memorizer when I learned that memorizing the Bible just the exercise, the discipline would keep my mind sharp, and then I had the, the plus of the power of God's Word in me as well. Fourteen, the mental exercise of memorizing Scripture improves our memory, our ability to concentrate, our ability to think clearly. It's a muscle. You neglect it, it gets weak. And when someone says to me, I can't memorize, all they're saying is I've neglected the muscle, and it doesn't work so well. All you have to do is exercise it, and pretty soon it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. My ability to memorize Bible verses is getting better. I can memorize a portion in less time than it used to take me even back when I was young because I've exercised that muscle, the brain, by memorizing it. Fifteen, memorized Bible verses are what the Holy Spirit will use to convict us of sin. I went out to lunch with a fellow from our church who speaks Spanish. And we went to a Mexican food restaurant, and so the waitress spoke Spanish. And they're talking in Spanish. I'm sitting there listening, thinking, I don't have a clue what they're saying. I took three years of Spanish in high school. And you know what I know in Spanish now? No speaky. The language of the Holy Spirit is the Bible. And when you memorize the Bible, the Holy Spirit will use what you've memorized to communicate to us. Hebrews 4.12, again, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and, soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the Word of God. It is the language of the Holy Spirit. 16 verses that we have memorized well are what the Holy Spirit will use to guide us into the perfect will of God. So someone asked me here a couple of months ago, have you ever heard God speak to you audibly? I said, nope. Have you ever heard him speak to you in your mind? I said, all the time. You do? Yeah. Well, tell me some of the things he said to you. Let's see. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's John 3, 16. Yeah, I know it. 
Well, I thought you said you heard God's voice. That is God's voice. That's the Word of God. That's what it's called, the Word of God, the voice of God. And the Spirit of God will resurrect what I have memorized, what I've hidden in my heart at opportune times to communicate to me. I have Bible verses pop into my head all through the course of the day that applies specifically to a decision I need to make, a word I need to speak. Um, and so I don't know Spanish, but I know the language of the Holy Spirit. The language of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God, and I memorize it, and then uh, it will be resurrected in my thought. Psalm 16, 7 through 8 uh, oh, it's embarrassing when you forget a verse. Psalm 16, 7 through 8. Um, ah. Oh, well. You look it up later. Uh, I know it, it just has kind of slipped me. That's part of the discipline, you know, memorizing it repeatedly so you get it. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, uh, Ephesians 6:17. take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Psalm 119, 23, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors, they are my counselors. 17, the only people who successfully, systematically memorize the Bible are those who choose to make a goal. Nobody does it just because all of a sudden you have this, I think I'll memorize a Bible verse. No, it's because you make a goal to, you choose to, you have a plan. And so my goal uh, is to memorize the book of Colossians in 2021. Last year, 2020, I memorized the book of Philippians. I review it every week. I've also memorized the book of Hebrews. I've memorized uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I've memorized James I memorized First and Second Timothy and Titus because each year I set a goal of something I'm going to memorize and I review it repeatedly and so I don't lose it, I don't forget it. So when you and I go out for fish and chips and a cup of coffee and I say, what's your plan for memorizing the Bible? If you have one, I'll buy. If you don't, you buy. It's just simply a goal. Uh, and so my goal is to spend 30 minutes every day reviewing memorized verses and working on new ones. 18, there are some great tools available to make this very hard discipline easier. So I have an app on my phone and on my iPad called Scripture Memory. It is a great tool, and it helps me immensely. It systematically brings verses up for a review, and uh, as I review them, it makes it easy to review it, uh, and I'm all the time with my phone in my hand reviewing verses, and when I get one wrong, it goes beep, 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 and so I'm doing it at night, Patty's sleeping, and she said, would you either learn that verse or turn that beeper off? Because it's going off, you know, beep, beep. I don't have it down good. If I get 90% right, then uh, I, I, I don't have to review it again for another month. If I don't, then it pops up again the next day. And I get points for it. And everybody who buys the app is ranked from top to bottom. And I am now 210th place out of 80,000. But is Cliff here? My brother Cliff is like 80th place. Bob, what are you? Bob is way high too. I just hate it when people beat me. So I'm working to catch them all. It's a great tool. I have memorized more Bible verses since I downloaded that app than any time in my life. I'm effectively, pretty clearly, doing over 100 verses a, a year of new verses and reviewing old verses. I'm up to almost 700 now that I've got down well because of this cool tool. 19, accountability and encouragement from other like-minded memorizers of the Bible is a great help. So I'm in a number of accountability groups, and most of them... We each quote a Bible verse that we've recently memorized. And number 20, save these sermon notes and read them monthly. So, why would you memorize the Bible? Well, because of the dozen blessings I just gave you.
Your mind improves, your relationship with God improves, your victory over sin improves, your prayer power improves. Those are great blessings that come into your life. Uh, you become prosperous and successful in all that you do. And so we're motivated to do what we do because of reward. Uh, God made it that way. That's not being selfish. It's simply functioning the way he created us. He rewards and he disciplines, and he gives great rewards for those who honor him by honoring his word. Those who spend the time to memorize and meditate on his word, he promises prosperity and success and victory over sin and a whole host of other blessings. But uh, most of you will improve after tonight. I was just about going to say, most of you are probably not going to do much more than you're presently doing. If anything, I thought, that's kind of negative. No. I am such a great preacher that I have highly motivated you, and you're all going to go out there and start, even if it's a simple goal of one verse a week. One verse a week. I started by putting verses on three-by-five cards, and then uh, I covered them with uh, packing, that clear packing tape you know you have, front and back, both sides, because I would memorize in my hot tub. I had them in a shoebox sitting on a shelf next to the hot tub. When I got into the hot tub, I reached over and got five cards out. And I sat there and reviewed them and memorized them, and then I put them in the back of the pile. And the next day, I got five from the front, and I moved them to the back. And periodically, I would put some new cards in the shoebox. I started that with a few, and by the time I finished, the shoebox was full of verse cards. And then I switched over to my uh, Scripture memory program, and they're all on my phone now. A, a system, a plan, a strategy. It's all it takes. So make a goal, come up with a plan or a strategy, and you'll experience phenomenal blessings in your life if you do this discipline. Very few do because it's hard. But those who do are greatly blessed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in it. And Lord, as we choose to memorize it, meditate on it, it will change us from the inside out. Your word is powerful. It's supernatural. It is the word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. And you use it. You work in it and through it as we put it into our mind and our heart. I pray that you would stir us, motivate us, each one of us, to faithfully memorize uh, your words. On a, on a regular, systematic basis. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.